Hi, I'm Kristen Hodgden, an IVF mom, proud fertility advocate, and co-founder of Rescripted. Welcome to Dear Infertility, the first ever podcast that doubles as an advice column for fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss. This season, we're going back to our roots, highlighting personal fertility stories from those who have been there through IVF, egg freezing, donor conception, surrogacy, and more. Now let's dive in and work towards ending the stigma around fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss. Hi, I'm Dr. Mackenzie Purdy, reproductive endocrinologist at KindBody. Did you know that having irregular cycles is a defining feature of PCOS? Irregular cycles indicate infrequent ovulation or lack of ovulation. This can make it difficult to determine when to try for pregnancy. Visit kindbody.com backslash rescripted to learn more. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Infertility. I'm your host, Kristen, and I'm here with Bethany Myers. Hi, Bethany. Hello. Hey, thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know Bethany, she's the founder and chief executive officer of the Become Project, a body neutral, I can do it, go on and love yourself approach to boutique fitness in an accessible 25 minute routine. After a difficult fertility journey, Bethany is currently pregnant with her first child. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so thrilled for you. I've been following your journey for a long time. And I feel like we, we both had pregnancy losses, like not too far apart. And we both know how devastating that is. And so I'm just so ecstatic for you. And, um, we were just talking before this and Bethany said she's 21 weeks. So a little bit more than halfway (laughs) through her pregnancy, which is really exciting. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I kind of wanted to ask you in your own words, can you sort of give us a brief overview of sort of your path to get here in your own words? Yeah. I was trying for about two years to get Mm -hmm. pregnant never in a million years thought that it was going to be an issue for me because, you know, I was one of those that was like a cycle tracker before anyone was tracking their cycles and never took birth control. And like, you know, did so much womb meditating, you know, all of the things. And I thought it would happen really quickly. And I was so surprised when it didn't, Mm -hmm. we moved to IUI after about a year of trying And, um, we did two IUIs on the second one. We got pregnant. I was ecstatic. I was like, I'm finally out of this hell. And then we miscarried and I ended up having a DNC procedure for that miscarriage. Even though I waited for a long time, I really wanted to pass it on my own. And that was like another frustrating piece. And then we decided to move to IVF and, I actually, we've started doing the IVF process, did the egg retrieval, and then we had a hiccup that was like completely out of the blue. And I won't go into details, but we basically had to push our transfer two months. And in those two months, I ended up getting pregnant without medical intervention. Amazing. And, you know, I think that that story if I had heard that story when I was trying to get <laughs> pregnant, I would have been so thoroughly annoyed. Of course. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because it almost feels like it follows the trope of like, well, once you stop trying, then it's going to happen. Yeah. 
So I just want to say that in the two months in, in this little lull that happened, it wasn't like I stopped trying. It wasn't like I was barefoot and free as a butterfly and just like enjoying myself. And that's why I got pregnant. I was still like stressed about it, driving, driving for hours to see my partner, peeing on ovulation sticks, doing all the thing. And it, it just so happened that that was the timing that it all happened. And so now I am 21 weeks pregnant today and hopeful that this little baby that's due on our wedding anniversary goes all the way. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah, no, I'm, I think that's important to point out because it can be like, oh, they just relaxed and, and, and she got pregnant. And But at the same <laughs> time, it's also really hopeful because that's the goal, right? Like you, and now hopefully you have some embryos that, that you could potentially use down the line. I do. We have three embryos on ice, which mm-hmm. is, you know, comforting. I think I, you know, I haven't mm-hmm. gone through the, the transfer process and I yeah. certainly have read a lot of people's experience going through that and, you know, how tough that can be, but I'm trying to like focus on totally. today and on this. And I also just have to say, I'm like, feel so honored to be here. This podcast got me through a lot. Oh, and you. I'm getting emotional, but like, oh. just remember like sitting in the bathtub and just like crying and listening to different people's stories on here. And it really, really was like one, like finding this community was one of the most supportive pieces that didn't like make me feel pushed away. And I, I just like very special and feels very full circle to like be here today and talking with you. Oh, thank you. That means so much. You're going to make me emotional now. (laughs) I'm so happy it helped. So what was your initial diagnosis? Like, did you have one or was it unexplained? It was unexplained. All of my, you know, levels looked good and Mm -hmm. everything looked good, which was Mm -hmm. comforting in many ways. And also frustrating because, you you know, it feels like there is no answer and it really (laughs) kind of felt like a personal attack or something from the universe or from my own intuition or like something Mm -hmm. very strange. Yeah. And, and, you know, you run a fitness company and like you're healthy and you're fit and it's like, almost feels like counterintuitive that like you're doing everything you can and should be doing and cycle tracking and all that stuff. And then it's like, it's almost even more of a shock when you can't get pregnant. Totally. I mean, I think that, you know, in my, in my work and fitness, like I teach people how to be in control of their body, like from Mm -hmm. a, from a physical point of view, right? Like how to maneuver your body in a certain way. Like I'm so in touch with my physical self. It was very, very jarring to be out of touch with that. And when I think about this experience, I think about like, you know, the control that you want to have everything and sort of the very fine line between like surrendering and giving up and like what that, you know, feels like for you and how that manifests within itself. It was a, it was a very strange and empowering experience. I've been writing a book throughout both my infertility process and my and my pregnancy. And it's surrounding body neutrality, body acceptance, finding like this neutral zone, you know, all these things that I talk about with the Become Project. Mm-hmm. And one of the chapters is really surrounding control, right? And how like the good pieces of control and like then when control crosses the line and becomes obsessive. 
And mm-hmm. I, I just think so much of the, the journey of all of this has really been interwoven with the book in a, in a very special and unique way. That's awesome. I'm excited to read it. Can we talk a little bit about body neutrality? Because I know for me, I mean, I working out and fitness is one of my biggest passions and like, it helps me feel in control of my mental health and my physical health. But then during IVF, like you kind of have to take a little bit of a step back. And I remember seeing your stories um, on Instagram about, about that. And, and so how did that all feel throughout the process and what exactly is body neutrality and how can people kind of work to find that on their fertility journey? Yeah. So the idea of body neutrality is, I mean, I have a kind of a one-liner I always say, but you know, some days we love our body. Some days we hate our body, but every single day we can learn to respect our body. And Mm -hmm. it's the recognition that we are more than our physical self. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we look at the way that we're trained to think about ourselves, there's like one side of the pendulum that is body shame, right. And the beauty industry, the diet industry, even like, you know, you can't get pregnant and then you're, you're feeling ashamed because of that, right. There's like all this down on ourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the other side of the pendulum can almost be like this toxic positivity where it's like, yeah, I love myself every single day and all of my stuff. And, you know, maybe it feels kind of fake. Yeah. And then there's more of this neutral zone where it's like, yeah, some days I feel like shit. Some days I feel awesome. But at the end of the day, like that's just my physical self. And I'm so much more than that. And I'm going to respect all the things that my body can do for me and how far it has gotten me. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the body neutrality piece is about. And I really like to express the fact that it is in no means a d- a destination. Like, it's not like I got, I got body neutral today. Like I'm done walking (laughs) away and that would be awesome. But you know, through the process of trying to get pregnant, I was like really, really shook just at how much one, all of your attention is turned onto your physical self, right? Like Mm -hmm. your body, you're pumping yourself with hormones. You are like, you're going through a lot, especially if you like get pregnant, you lose the baby. Like There's so many, and even pregnancy, right? Like it changes your body. Like this is just, it's a lot. And I was really- No one talks about the physical changes after a miscarriage either. Uh, Yes, no one talks about it. And my whole body was like a completely different, I was like, what is going on, you know? So it was really difficult to like, to rest more within that neutral side of myself. And so I like to think of body neutrality as a tool that we can use, you know, to help us on the days when things really aren't feeling good. And it's like something there that can help get us back into a neutral state. So like, you know, maybe before you're looking in the mirror and your self-talk is, you know, really negative and you're hating on yourself and my legs and my cellulator, you know, whatever it is. And maybe when you have more of that neutrality, those thoughts still come into your head, but you're able to like acknowledge and recognize them and be like, wow, I'm really talking about myself this way. I wonder why I'm feeling all of these things about myself. And then how can I connect back to my own self-worth? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so complicated because there's like the feeling of my body's not doing what it's supposed to do. Like first and foremost, then there's the hor- added hormones. Then there's the inability to like work out at the level that you might be used to. Sure. And it's like just this complicated web, but I will say that somehow, you know, I, I'm, I feel like more proud of my body now than I did like prior to going through any of this and, you know, carrying babies. Like it, it, I'm definitely not in a size, like a size that I used to be in, but I feel like my body has done a lot for me. And even if it's not all positive, (laughs) you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's almost like, not to sound cheesy, but it's like, you're still standing, you know, you're still here, Mm -hmm. like you're still doing the work. Like your body did carry you through all of that. And I think mm-hmm. it's such a, a feat in and of itself. Very resilient. Yes. So I want to go into, you know, your miscarriage if you're, if you feel comfortable kind of talking about it, because, well, first of all, very, I'm very sorry for your loss and I've been there and I know how hard it is. And I, I was telling a friend recently that like, sometimes I feel like the the immediate aftermath wasn't the hardest part for me. It's like the time that passes and you feel like all of the what ifs come flooding in and it's like, Oh, I would have been due next month or I would have been X amount of weeks pregnant. And so talk a little bit about, you know, your grieving process and what that was all like. Yeah. It was devastating. You know, we weren't very far along. I think maybe we both had a, I don't even know, a blighted ovum. Did we both? Yes. Yes. Is that even what it's? When you, yeah. For those who are listening, who don't know what that is, it's when you have a clinical pregnancy in your uterus, but it's an empty sac and there's nothing inside of it. Yes. So when we got pregnant, like I wasn't even aware, not that I wasn't aware that miscarriage happened, but it didn't really cross my mind that much. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we got to our first ultrasound and it wasn't positive and I was so confused. And um, I think that there was like a part of me that felt kind of almost a little bit like I shouldn't be this upset because I wasn't that far along, which I, I know isn't the case, but like, you know, like maybe somebody else could reason that or like that was somewhere there for me. And, and I, and it, it was just completely devastating. And I, I think that because I was so, because we had been trying and I was just like, this is it, you know, mm-hmm. like, like finally this is it. It's like, you get to take this breath and then to have it stripped away. And I feel like I was trying so hard to get pregnant and was like, if I can just get pregnant, I can just get pregnant. And like, I just need to control this like one piece. And then it happened. And I was like, oh, I'm not even in control of that. Like once it happened, you know what I mean? Like it was just so, it was felt so stripped. The good thing that happened because of it is there, it was relieving to have a bit of a break after, you know, and Mm -hmm. like to not, be on this cycle of trying every single month and, you know, all of the things. Focusing on healing. Yeah. Focusing on healing. Like the, the break felt nice, giving a moment to be like, okay, what do we want to do next? You know, like not so much pressure. And I do feel like that experience really helped me. It pushed me more into a place of surrender 
Mm-hmm. And not that I think that you have to be like perfectly surrendered to get pregnant because I would tell myself that a million times. I'd like stand outside and I'd be like, surrender, surrender. <laughs> you have to come on. Did I do it yet? Like peeking out of my eyes. Like, but it did like strip me down in a way that in hindsight, I feel like was really important to my growth as a person mm-hmm. and ultimately my growth as a parent. Yeah. But, you know, I really spent a lot of time in the grieving process and like grieved very openly and very loudly, which was really in many ways new for me. And I almost like talking about it in ways because I think that that by talking about it, it helped me so, so much. Like I talked about it publicly, like even like when, you know, kind of casually with people be like, well, after our miscarriage, we blah, blah, blah. Like it's part of my life and it's part of my story. And there's something Mm -hmm. about like owning that story that I think has been really healing as well. Absolutely. And it's interesting, like almost when, because I'm the same way, I'm an open book. And when I bring it up, someone always either has experienced a miscarriage or knows someone who has experienced miscarriage. And I mean, one in four known pregnancies end in loss. Like that's, you know, it's extremely common. That doesn't make it any less devastating, but the more we talk about it, the more we can find that common ground and maybe make someone else feel less alone who might not be open about it. So it's really important to, you know, for those of us who are willing to share our stories so that others can feel, you know, less isolated. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, I can identify with the whole grieving process too, because, and, and the the surrendering after the fact, because that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like, I just knew after my DNC, like, I can't, I can't try anymore. Right. Right. The second. And I've been working in therapy a lot about, you know, and my therapist just keeps saying like, you don't have to make a decision right now. Like you don't have, like, it's not like, okay, you're done having babies forever, or you have to go like do another egg retrieval tomorrow. There can be this space of like healing and finding joy and focusing on the present. And it doesn't always have to be this, I mean, the problem is like fertility can just feel so time sensitive sometimes. And so I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's always, you know, the feeling in the back of your head is like, am I wasting time? But I think you have to listen to your intuition. It's like, I know that it would not be beneficial for me to like go back to a fertility clinic right now (laughs) mentally. So you just kind of have to listen to your body. And and then for some people, it might be like jumping right back into trying right away because that that gives them the sense of control that they're craving. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that journey is different for everyone. And I do get really frustrated with the fertility world and with God, I guess, like just of so much of the time I I started trying when I was 34. I didn't get pregnant until I was 36. Mm-hmm. When I turned 35, that was like really hard for me because anything you read online, 35 is like mm-hmm. the tipping point age, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was so like hung up in the numbers for a while. And I, I like prior to starting trying to get pregnant, you know, I live in New York City, like 
people don't start trying to get pregnant until they're like 40. Like, it's just like the timeline is different than the town that I grew up in and the small town of Missouri I grew up in, you know, like where a lot of people have high schoolers now, like it's very different. So I had never thought that much about the timing until I started trying. And then suddenly I felt so up against the clock. And I remember my therapist like talking to me about, it's not like you turn 35 and suddenly it drops down to the floor, right? Like everything is like gradual, like the numbers are gradual, but that's, I don't know. I had to like pull myself off of the internet and off of the numbers because Mm -hmm. It was an added pressure that did not feel good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, f- I feel that. I've been the same way with the whole like age gap between kids thing. And I've just had to sort of let it go because it's That's a great point. Just yeah. not serving me. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So what was that sort of the hardest part about this whole journey for you? Was it the control? Was it, you know, would you reflect back on and say that like, that was the most difficult thing? I think the hardest part for me is I felt very backstabbed by myself, mm-hmm. specifically like my own intuition. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a really intuitive person and there's a spiritual side of myself that I connect with. And there's like, I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but like the ancestors of women who have gone before me, who guide me, who, you know, like I always felt very connected to that. I don't know if you've ever read the red tent, but like, Ooh, I I need to, I've heard of it. It's unbelievable. It's Mm -hmm. I've read it like seven times and it got me through. So probably three of those times were during the two years of trying to get pregnant, but it, you know, I always felt like so connected to this bigger than me side of like caring and birthing children. And I would have, I literally would have bet like a million dollars if I had it, that I would get pregnant right away. Like it just was such a sure thing for me Mm -hmm. when that didn't happen. And then we went down the road that we went on. I was like, what else about myself that I believe can I not trust? Yeah. And that was, that was really difficult to reconcile with. Yeah. That's, that is difficult. It's, and I, I was attributed to like sex ed is so broken. Cause like, no, like we're, you know, taught from a young age that if you have sex, you'll get pregnant and right. if you have a regular period, you'll get pregnant. Yeah. Like I'm, I was the opposite. I didn't have a regular period, but I, I would imagine that if like I had a normal 28 day cycle, I'd be like, okay, I ovulated. It's, you know, that's the natural order of things. So I can imagine that that's difficult to wrap your head around when you're like, still your body seems to be working the way it's supposed to on on the surface. And I think like how I have reconciled some of it is that there was still an innate knowing within myself that happened. It it wasn't as I thought it would be. Like I thought I would get pregnant right away. It didn't happen. But I think that like my body didn't know what it was doing. And I also didn't like it when people said this when I was trying to get pregnant, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like I am grateful for the experience that we had. And I really do think that it had that already it is like prepped me more for parenthood than like anything else. And we've had quite a few friends, which I'm sure this ends up happening to almost everybody. Like you start trying to get pregnant and then all of your friends are like getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. feels like just snapping their fingers, you know? 
And everyone's journey to parenthood looks very different. But we've had several friends that it happened for them sooner than they thought it would, that they thought they were going to go for a while and it happened right away. And, you know, emotionally, that actually played a big toll on them and was really hard to be like, oh, we're already here. I didn't know it was going to be this soon. I'm feeling all of these things. The baby is taking away my energy, like really emotionally having a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. And by the time that I got pregnant, like I just felt like I was already on the cross. Like I was so fully surrendered. I was like, take it all away from me. Like I'm so stripped down that mm-hmm. I felt more ready for all of the emotions that maybe it brings. And I, I genuinely, I genuinely feel grateful for that time. So that's like the piece that my intuition knew that that's how I can trust myself again or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. And how, how has the whole experience affected you during pregnancy? How has your pregnancy been like mentally and emotionally and physically? <laughs> well, the first trimester, I was like terrified of miscarrying. And so there was a lot of anxiety wrapped up in that. And I was really, really nervous to celebrate or like to talk with my friends about it or to like get excited about it because I felt like if I got excited and we miscarried, it would make it so much more devastating. Mm -hmm. And I talked with my therapist about this and something that she told me that was like the most helpful thing. She was like, if you lose the baby, it's going to be devastating. Like Mm. it's going to suck. It's going to be really, really hard. Like it doesn't, you celebrating more now isn't going to make it less devastating later. Like it's going to suck and you're going to get through it. And then you're going to figure out what your next step is. Yeah. And that, like that piece really helped me a lot. That's true. Okay. Like if it happens, it's going to suck, you know, mm-hmm. nothing that I'm going to do is, is going to jinx it. So the first trimester was scary. And a lot of like talks, I actually got one of those little heart rate Doppler things that mm-hmm. so many people tell you like not to get or, <laughs> you know, like, but it was the best thing that I've like ever bought in my life <laughs> because I didn't go for it like every single day. But just if I was having one of those moments, I could find a heartbeat. And, and that really, really supported me as far as how I'm feeling. It's different than I expected. I kind of imagine that I would be like feeling magical all the time or something, which I'm sure is silly, but, uh, it's really tiring. <laughs> and, and simultaneously, I feel like so grateful to be tired, you know? Yeah. It's like, it goes back to like, you can be both and you can be like super grateful and also find it hard. Like I really struggled with that. Like during my pregnancy is like, I just wanted, I felt like I should be like the happiest person on earth, but I was so scared of it being ripped out from under me. But your therapist is so right. Like, you know, even when I had my chemical pregnancy, I was pregnant for literally like three days, (laughs) but just like seeing a positive pregnancy test, like you're, you're excited whether you want to like let yourself be excited or not, you know? So, but sometimes it's just like all of the emotions and it fluctuates and you can't really control any of it. You just have to like surrender. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Totally. I felt, um, just a a side note that's on my mind, but I also felt like a lot of guilt when I got pregnant Mm -hmm. because I had like made like this infertility community 
And then I felt like guilt surrounding that, right? Like the person, like it, it was, it's just a lot of emotions going on that are very pulling and tugging you in different ways, mm-hmm. which I can only imagine is also like very similar to what parenthood must be like. And yes. I think about that comparison a lot. Um, I think that however someone journeys to to parenthood or, you know, if they do or like whatever path they end up taking. But I do think that this process like really prepares you for that in so many ways. Oh yes. A hundred percent. I feel, I would say like infertility kind of taught me not to sweat the small stuff as much because Mm -hmm. like you just realize that, you know, I'm like, I remember when my twins got here, I was like, as long as they're here like and healthy, I'm like all these little things can, and, and listen, like four years later, I'm definitely not perfect. Things get complicated when you have like two toddlers, but you know, it's, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's like, this just like grateful. It's hard for me to even imagine like getting pregnant naturally with like not never having had a heart of time, never having experienced loss, like, and it just being like a given that like, everything's fine. Like I, I can't even like wrap my head around that. Right? So I don't take for granted, like when things go the right way. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so the question I always like to ask towards the end of the podcast is, as you know, our company's name is Rescripted. What would you sort of rescript about how people understand um, or think about infertility or pregnancy loss or even pregnancy after loss? I promised myself I was going to have this answer before we got on here, but <laughs> I, I do have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think rescripting the idea of blame and the shame that comes along with it, you know, I think whether or not we want to talk about it on a surface level woven deep within people who have a womb, you know, are born being able to have children. Like, I think that there is a long held ancestral idea that like, if you do not have kids, you are not worthy, you know, like the queen needed to bear sons for the king. Like that was, the job. And, um, I know that uh, that really came up for me was a lot of shame at the end of the day. And, um, I think to, to rescript the idea of like how we take back our power in that. Mm-hmm. And if that means like choosing not to have kids or, you know, stopping at some point or like whatever that means for someone, but knowing that it's not our fault, mm-hmm. that not, birthing doesn't make you less than anyone else. I love that. And just like being a more empathetic, I I don't know about you, but like this whole process has made me more empathetic when other people are, or not to assume with, when it comes to other people, like not everyone wants to have kids. Not everyone can have kids. Not everyone, you know, is, I don't know, like miscarriages aren't not painful just because it's early. Like people kind of say these, all these like pleasantries, or like they think you're, they're making you feel better, but it's really just like, you know, you, that's kind of assuming that people want something that you think they want. I don't, I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I think I've just become so much more like respectful of everyone's journey, whatever that may look like. Mm -hmm. I have a family member. I have a sister-in-law who has nine children 
And, you know, I think that there's sometimes this, not sometimes, like a lot of times there's a stigma that she gets. It's like, oh, you know, and I'm like, no, like she shouldn't be judged the same way somebody who's never had kids shouldn't be judged the way somebody who does IVF or surrogacy or, you know, whatever it is, like the, the path that we choose, it's valid because it's ours. And that's like the hard stop. And I think I've, you're right. Like just become so much more empathetic and going through it to, to everyone's own experience. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much, Bethany. This has been lovely getting to know you a little better and, um, I'm so thrilled for you and Nico and feel good and let's stay in touch. Thank you for coming up, coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Dear Infertility. We hope it left you feeling more educated and empowered about your reproductive and sexual health. Whatever you're currently struggling with, Rescripted is here to hold your hand every step of the way. If you liked today's episode and want to stay up to date on our podcast, don't forget to click subscribe. And to join Rescripted's free fertility support community, head to rescripted.com.